Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. I love Mr. Miyagi. I feel like I should have looked this up. I feel like he may have died recently. I don't know. I don't know if that. Did he? Yeah, he did. Oh, he's one of my most favorite characters, this guy. And, um, uh, Danielson, we know, he went on to lose Dancing with the Stars, right? <laughs> and he never really had much of a career after The Karate Kid. But <laughs> The Karate Kid such a good movie. Right before this scene, just before this scene, it, it, I, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not necessarily recommending this, but it, it actually makes sense. Mr. Miyagi is helping him. You know, Danielson, he wants to learn Kung Fu, to defend himself, all these things. He's having all kinds of problems, you know, stuff like that, right? So Mr. Miyagi is going to be his mentor, teach him Kung Fu. But he comes to his house, and all he does is work, right? Sand the floor. He put, you know, it's, it's just weeks of sanding the floor, painting the fence, paint the house, and Wax on, wax off, wax in the car. So he goes through all of this, and he's been doing this for weeks, and no kung fu, right? No kung fu. So the scene just before this, he goes through a rant and, he, and lots of cursing. He just uh, comes on glued. I don't get it. I don't understand. All I'm doing is working for you. I'm your slave. I'm this, I'm that, and just cursing and cursing and cursing. And Mr. Miyagi just takes it, and he's walking away. And that's the scene that that we started with, right? Where he says, Danielson, get back here. Come here. Come here. Right? And he's like, what? You know? He's sore. He's sore. Oh, I love this part right here, right? I don't think there's anything to that. It's just good optics, right? And then he fixes his shoulder and then there you go. And what happens in the first scene when he says sand the floor and all the, you know, he puts it together, you see his eyes? It's, you know, it's not that great of acting, but you see his eyes, he's like, this whole time I've been learning Kung Fu, right? There's a new, a modern version of this movie with Jackie Chan. He may be better than actually Mr. Miyagi, Jackie Chan is so great. And then uh, Will Smith's son, Jaden Smith, right? He's the, he's the kid. It's actually maybe a better movie. I know there's less cursing in it. And, which is sh- shocking, right? But he goes through the whole wax on, wax off, you know, all that stuff. But it's, it's about putting on a jacket and taking it off. And it's crazy. It's the same scene. It's awesome. But I, I couldn't get past the classic because I was a kid. I actually had like a crush on Elizabeth Shue. She's the love interest and everything, right? She goes on to a really great career. But Danielson loses Dancing with the Stars. And uh, it's terrible. Um, all right. So what in the world has it got to do with anything, right? I promise you, I'm not comparing Jesus to Mr. Miyagi, but I kind of am a little bit, all right? In Mark chapter 8, 21 verses, Jesus helps his disciples, teaches his disciples to connect the dots. I mean, it is a wax on, wax off moment. It is, it is unbelievable how it's actually what is happening because they don't understand, they are not getting it and Jesus uh, sets out to connect the dots like this in the lives of our disciples. So Mark chapter eight. Now, listen, somewhere, sometime between now 
in January 1st. This is going to happen to you. All right? You're going to encounter somebody, all right, somewhere, sometime, and you're going to be talking with them, and they're going to say that, that they are not prepared. They have not been prepared for what has happened in their life. And maybe it's already happened to you. You're going to be in a conversation, and they're just like, you know, I just did not see this coming. I was not prepared for this. And it's going to be an opportunity for you to help people connect the dots and say, look, I know I don't have all the answers, and, uh, but I know a place that can provide help and encouragement and, and maybe the answers um, that uh, you're probably looking for and seeking, all right? Why don't you come with me to Vail Christian Church or to my community group? I'd love for you to meet some of uh, my friends and family at Vail Christian Church. Somewhere in between now and January 1st, I'm telling you it will happen. It happens to me daily and I'm a pastor. I know it will happen to you because you run in circles that I don't run in. You're going to find somebody in some sort of conversation and they're going to say something to the effect of, it's just not going well when you say, how's it going? It's not going very good. My kid, my this, my marriage, my, my job, my whatever. It's not going well. And it's going to give you an opportunity to say, listen, let me help you connect the dots. I know how to help you connect the dots. Come with me to Vail Christian Church. Or the same thing is going to happen and they're going to just say, you're going to say, well, you go to church somewhere. Are you going to church? And they're going to say, I'm not, I'm not in church. I'm not going to church. Would you come with me? Would you remember those three knots? And today, I think, uh, will equip you a little bit better in terms of how do I connect the dots uh, in, in my life? Just, there's these issues, there's these events, there's these things that happen, and I'm not exactly sure how they relate to God and all, or is God involved in this or not, okay? Now, in chapter 8, 21 verses right here. Oh, Jesus helps. Connect the dots between events that seem to have significance that we may not otherwise realize, all right, and that we're contemplating. And the setting uh, for this is uh, the beginning of this narrative is in Decapolis or these 10 cities, these Gentile cities um, in the land that is east of the Sea of Galilee. So starting in verse one, it says, in those days... There was another large crowd and nothing to eat. So remember, we already, Jesus already faced large crowds like crazy. So it's another large crowd, nothing to eat. So Jesus called his disciples. He said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already been there, uh, been here with me three days and they've got nothing to eat. If I send them uh, home hungry, they're going to faint on the way. And some of them are going to have, uh, going to come from, uh, they've come from a great distance. His disciples answered him, where can someone get enough bread in this desolate place to satisfy these people? I personally, I just, after reading everything in front of this, I can't believe they actually say that, but they do. Okay, and we're going to find out why. So we asked them, how many loaves, of, you know, how many loaves do you have? How much bread do you got? And they replied, seven. So then he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. After he took the seven loaves, he gave thanks. He broke it. He began uh, giving them to the disciples to serve. So they served the crowd. They also had a few small fish. And after giving thanks for these, he told them to serve these as well. Everyone ate and was satisfied. And they picked up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. There was about 4,000 who ate. And then he dismissed them and immediately got into a boat with his disciples and he went to the district of Dalmutha. 
Jesus is always getting in a boat. He's always going back and forth across this sea all the time, right? Verse 11. Then the Pharisees came and he began to argue. Uh, they began to argue with Jesus. I, this is kind of crazy, arguing with Jesus. I, 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 again, I, ca I can't believe they're arguing with Jesus, but they're arguing with Jesus, asking for a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply. Remember Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit last week? Remember just before he healed the, the deaf man and the guy who couldn't speak, he sighed? Underline the sigh deeply right here, okay? He says, why does this generation look for a sign? I tell you the truth, no sign is going to be given to this generation. Then he left them. He got back into the boat and he went to the other side. This is even better. Now they had forgotten to take bread. So the disciples forget to take bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. And Jesus orders them, watch out. And that's like he grabs them by both cheeks and he says, listen to me for a minute. Pay attention, all right? Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. So they began to discuss with them, um, uh, with one another about having no bread. And when he learned of this, Jesus said to them, why are you arguing about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Have your hearts been hardened, you guys? Though you have eyes, you don't see. Though you have ears, you can't hear. Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? And they replied, 12. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? They replied, seven. Then he said to them, do you still not understand? <laughs> then they, well, let's just end it right there. Now, this is great. I mean, this is really good stuff. I don't know about you, but as much as I think I understand most of the time, I have a hard time connecting the dots just like anybody. And people come to me all the time and I feel like they're, they're some sort of crisis. They're stressed out. They're freaking out a little bit, you know? And most of my job is just to help them sort of connect the dots and to see what's going on. And this is what Jesus is doing right here. Now, Jesus is hoping to avoid... Um, attracting a crowd in this area, in Decapolis, right? But word of his presence gets out and he is inundated, which happens often when he enters, um, when he entered the predominantly Jewish re region on the west side. The crowd, after spending three days with Jesus, he's got nothing to eat, right? You remember that? So prompts Jesus, tell the disciples about his compassion for them. <clears throat> And um, they're in a desolate place. They're in the desert, right? So as readers now, we're reading through this, we got deja vu. We're like, what in the world? This has already happened. Mark, he reports earlier that Jesus feels compassion for the crowd and miraculously fed them in a desolate place, right? The significant difference between chapter six, where we were, Pastor Trey taught through that, and now chapter eight, where we are now, is location. So Jesus fed the crowd on the west side of the sea in Jewish country. Now he's feeding the crowd on the east side of the sea. 
which is Gentile country, right? And so the disciples are concerned about the problem of satisfying the crowd, remember? You know, how are we going to do this? They're concerned about these, this problem, these problems and these issues, right? And uh, last week, they're concerned about that too. So where Jesus is using an illustration about bread, you remember he told the Gentile woman that the Jews, especially his disciples, should be satisfied first. Remember that? But he responds to the woman's faith. He casts out the demon and her daughter, and he satisfies the Gentile woman, which raised the question with the disciples of whether or not he's going to satisfy a whole group, a whole big crowd of Gentiles. So that's what's going on here. In the West, Jesus, is, Jesus miraculous, miraculously fed a crowd with five loaves and two fish. Now in the East, he feeds the crowd in a miraculous way with seven loaves and a few fish. In the first case, in the first uh, one, the disciples collect 12 baskets left over. And this time they collect seven. The first crowd includes 5,000 men, right? kind of gender specific, so we know there's more than that. This crowd identified by gender constitutes 4,000. So Mark's given us plenty of clues, all right, for us to conclude that the crowd in the east of the sea includes significant number of Gentiles. So there's something going on here. The more details in the first description, you know, would be what the Jewish people needed or wanted. The lack of details in this scene uh, means that Mark is um, describing a mostly Gentile crowd. Now that's significant. So Jesus satisfies the Gentile woman. Now he satisfies the Gentile crowd. They ate, they were satisfied. That's a big deal. The differences between the 5,000 and the 4,000 indicate that this message is sweeping through everybody, Gentiles, Jews, everybody. It's capturing everybody. And this is fulfilling some prophecy from Isaiah. That's basically, uh, Isaiah says, this is a banquet for all ages and all people, all nations. The kingdom isn't just for Jews. It's not just for Jews and Gentiles in sort of a random way either. You know, a few people here and there. This is for everyone. It's the whole world. This message is for everybody. Now, most of us, you know, you probably haven't had a miraculous uh, experience like this or you haven't encountered maybe a big giant miracle like this. This is pretty... You know, this is a huge old thing, but you have had some experiences where you've wondered, you know, what is God doing here? Is he part of this? Is, is this, uh, is the way this is fleshing out, is God in the middle of these things that are happening in, in, in events? And so you begin to question, you know, uh, is, is God doing something or, or, or are you just trying to seek what in the world is happening? What is going on here? All right. And so these guys are the same way as, as, as us. And Jesus points out that they're vulnerable to Jesus' opponents, all right, and their influence, who discount what is happening through him. So after feeding 5,000 in the wilderness, Jesus and his disciples, they cross over the Sea of Galilee only to face opposition from the Pharisees, Right? Once again, in this passage, after feeding a crowd in the wilderness, they cross over the sea. Jesus encounters the Pharisees. 
For these guys, the kingdom, uh, the kingdom was for law-keeping Jews. So Jesus has gotten them all fired up because of his inclusive vision of the kingdom. He wanted a banquet for everybody, but the Pharisees wanted something like just a little, you know, an intimate meal just for us kind of thing, right? So the Pharisees, like uh, Satan, tempt Jesus in the wilderness, but they're not testing him for the sake of, you know, I want to see what happens here because I'm considering following him. They're trying to trap him. That's what they're trying to do. And they uh, want a sign from heaven because they value, they, they're looking for, uh, for Jesus to endorse their, their, their small-minded agenda. So when a crowd brings a deaf mute to Jesus, um, before this feeding, he looks up to heaven, remember? And Jesus sighs deeply before healing this guy because he's, he's acting out what he, uh, he, he can't stand. So he's, he's communicating with this guy. So he sighs deeply. You remember that? That's kind of a big deal. The, sigh, the, the deep sigh here suggests that the Pharisees are, in a sense, deaf mutes. They, they can't hear. Um, what Jesus is saying and they can't speak correctly about it. So they, they don't need a sign from heaven validating their agenda. They need to be healed. So Jesus sighs, but he doesn't look to heaven actually. Mark's pretty you know, specific about not pointing or pointing that out. They need to be healed. He can't heal those though, remember here, he doesn't heal those who don't want to be healed. You remember that? The Pharisees are, are, are kind of out front in a generation that's turning away from and finally is going to reject the Messiah. So in this scene of feeding the 4,000, Jesus started giving a few loaves to his disciples who fed the, uh, this big massive crowd. But the, the kind of sign the Pharisees are looking for is not going to be given to them. Jesus is not going to give it to them. He leaves the Pharisees. He doesn't want anything to do with these guys until later. It's all going to come to a head. It's going to be like a showdown, right? In Mark chapter 12, where um, they're all confronted again, where they're confronted again. And that's this Jesus on his way to the cross, right? So they're demanding signs. We demand signs as well sometimes. I don't know if you think about this because we do it because we're curious. We think that if God will just show us a sign, a, a kind of a, you know, a miracle that's just so like, uh, that um, we're going to get on board with his mission. Just give me a sign. We bargain with God all the time. And, but is it really true that that's what we need? Or do we just think that's what we need? Because I know by and large, when um, I dig into this a little bit further, what I really want is God to prove himself in a way that endorses my agenda. <laughs> I'm just wanting to kind of fit God. Oh, I want God to fit into the way I think and the way I am, right? Danielson, <laughs> he had an idea of what it meant and how you learn uh, Kung Fu, 
you know, here's what you do. You, you go through all the motions and then I model them. We practice them together and all that kind of stuff. But Mr. Miyagi said, no, here's how you're going to learn. But, you know, isn't it? I, I, I just think it's brilliant, right? You're going to learn how to do this by, you know, painting the fence, sanding the floor, painting the house, you know, wax on, wax off, all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's actually brilliant. It's so much in a, a, sort of a, a rabbinic way of teaching. And this is what Jesus is doing as well. And I know it's what he does in our lives. It's exactly what he does in our lives, just like he's doing right here with these guys. So, what we need, just like these guys needed, the Pharisees, we don't need a, a sign. We need to be healed of demanding that kind of a sign. We need Jesus to heal us of our in, in, insistence that he endorse our narrow agendas so that instead we might align ourselves with him and his global mission of compassion. Faith, think about this a minute, faith, because this has been about faith all along here, right? Though open to intellectual inquiry and intellectually sustainable, faith asks us to submit to something else, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith asks us to submit to Jesus. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the rub is. That's where the, the grinding is. Faith is mostly, an, uh, is, is not mostly an intellectual issue. It's mostly a moral issue, actually. Faith in Jesus calls us to submit to Jesus. And because of that, all sorts of defense stuff just un, emerges in our lives, right? And, and including intellectual arguments and demands for, for, for signs and all of this stuff is sort of activated and initiated in our lives because we don't want to do this. We'll do almost everything but submit our hopes, our dreams, and all that kind of stuff to somebody else. And I can't tell you, for me as well, I can't tell you how many times in my life I just, I just, it's, it's like I'm just screaming out to God and saying, you know, Lord, why in the world would you not consult me before you decided to do this? I mean, you know, am I, am I leading things here or doing what you're asking me to do? You know, because I feel like I need to be included in everything and I got to see it all and I'm just looking at it in, in such a, a two-dimensional way through my lens and I'm going, you know, this is not, I, I would have never done it like this. What are you thinking? What are you doing? You know, I mean, I, and I'm careful to go, oh, I'm trying not to question you, God, but really deep inside I'm going, come on, it's supposed to go like this. You know, what is going on here? Oh, we do it all the time. We are myopic and we demand signs, uh, you know. We think a new sign is going to clear up our doubts. I mean, now think about this. These guys had already been a part of the feeding of the 5,000, you know, few fish and bread, and then all the 12 baskets left over, they've, they've already seen that. And then when it comes to this, you know, 4,000, they're like, hey, you know, we don't got any bread. I mean, how are we going to do all this? We're out here in the middle of nothing. Did you see that? I just, as, you, as you're reading this, you're going, come on, you guys, but we're exactly the same way. I mean, 
We're exactly the same way. And then they get into the boat and they only got one loaf of bread and they're like, we only got one loaf of bread. Ugh. And Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, I mean, they, they, now that there's 5,000, which we know is more, and then 4,000, and then they get into the boat. And there's one loaf of bread and they're all arguing about the, you know, and Jesus is like, You guys, you guys don't understand yet? Oh, oh, I would have loved to have been in the boat. Oh my gosh, I would have loved to have been in the boat. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, oh, that would have been so great. Arguing about a loaf, you know, we don't got enough bread, we're going across the other side, and they just been through all, oh. They were serving all of it too, right? It wasn't like it just like, they were serving all the bread. Like they get to see all of it. Oh. So Jesus questions his disciples. Now look at this. So, so, so Jesus knows, the disciples, the crowd, the 4,000, not having enough to eat, Right? Mark points out the disciples literally are not having any more than one loaf of bread in the boat with them as they cross the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. Jesus miraculously made up for the crowd's lack with an abundance of bread and the disciples lack of bread, but they, what do they lack? Understanding. Oh, it's beautiful. They, they, they lack understanding. And that's a greater challenge for Jesus than the crowd's lack of bread. So he warns his disciples to beware of the leaven or the influence of both the Pharisees and Herod. Did you see that? All right, you guys need to pay attention to Pharisees and Herod. They have alternative sort of visions of the kingdom of God, right? The Pharisees flat out reject the truth and they want a sign that Jesus endorses their agenda. That's what they want. Herod, who... He rules the region of Galilee under the, you know, the, 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 the over rule of Rome. They want, he, he wanted to be the leader of God's kingdom. Now, I mean, that's really what he wants to be king. He's not actually king. You know, remember John the Baptist kind of throws him a bone and calls him a king. But John, who announced the coming of the kingdom, he intrigues Herod. And signs of Jesus's power sort of haunt him for a while. Instead of flat out rejecting Jesus, he listens to Herod. He's intrigued and he likes the stories and all that kind of stuff. But when the rubber meets the road, right? When it comes down to him or Jesus, power or whatever, he's just flirting. He's just flirting and he takes John's head. So Jesus is warning the disciples, don't reject the truth like the Pharisees and don't flirt with the truth like Herod. Neither the Pharisees, neither Herod, this is really what he's saying, walk in the way of the Lord. The disciples don't understand that Jesus is the messianic shepherd of, of the wilderness who cares not only for Israel, but also for all the nations. That's what they're not connecting the dots about. And they don't understand that he's on a collision course with the Pharisees and Herod and other powers, he's fed both Jews and Gentiles, and he's got plenty left over. There's more than enough for the entire world. 
And, you know, they, that, that's what they really need help with. So in verse 17, Jesus asked the disciples whether they understand yet. Do you understand yet, you guys? Now listen, he's not going, you guys, you don't understand. I can't believe it. He doesn't do anything like that. No, they don't understand. There's still time. There's still time to understand. Maybe you're right there too. I don't understand. I don't get it. There's still time. What do they have to do? They got to remember that Jesus leads his disciples to remember the feeding of the 5,000. So he takes them back. And the feeding of the 4,000. They are active participants. They're right in the middle of this whole scene, right? They're doing it. They're, 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 they're with him. Serving up the love, serving up the fish to the crowds. But the meaning of the miracles are just escaping them. They just, they don't see it. They can't see past the miracle. So Jesus revisits the miracles, all right? And they remember what happened. Maybe now after revisiting the miracles, right? They're ready to hear and answer Jesus' question in a new way when he says, a second time, look at verse 20. Do you understand yet? Oh, I like it. It's so Mr. Miyagi-like. Yeah, Mr. Miyagi actually doesn't ask Danielson if he understands. He just is like, just pay attention. Look me in the eye, right? You know, show me wax on. So isn't that, isn't, isn't that, is this exactly what he's doing? Do you understand, Danielson? You know, you know when he gets it, right? When he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, he starts going like that and he's like, oh, it all comes together. Natural reflexes for all this stuff that I've been doing. <laughs> It's so brilliant. I like it. This is exactly what's going on right here. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. Oh, it's brilliant. For the sake of the disciples, Jesus needed to feed the crowd twice. Has he been doing anything like that in your life? I've caught myself going, I already learned this lesson. <laughs> Why are you doing this again? Uh, do you understand yet? You know, it's because God is going, do you, do you understand yet? Oh. So he does it twice, right? Um, for the sake of the disciples, who after being touched by Jesus so that they understood who he was, needed to, you know, that's why he, by the way, um, he needed to touch a blind man twice for the sake of the disciples who after being touched by Jesus so that they understood who he was, he needed to be touched again in order to understand the nature of his mission. So when Jesus fed the 5,000, the, the disciples collect 12, did you see that? 12 baskets of leftovers, the number of, pe of the people of God, 12, all right? I'm saying two, but I mean 12, right? Because I don't got 12 fingers. Okay. When he feeds the 4,000, the disciples collect seven baskets of leftovers, the number of completeness. So what do we lack? Whatever else we need, we need understanding. That's what we lack, understanding. We need to understand who Jesus is, what he comes to do, how he does what he came to do. We need to understand the way of the Lord that we might walk in it according to Jesus's call in our lives. Not according to us, according to Jesus, right? 
He is the resurrected Lord of the world who challenges not just, uh, you know, who challenges um, earthly powers and Satan and sin and death by enlisting us in his way. That's why he includes us. We're a part of the challenge in this world. We're part of the plan. We're part of the process. He includes us. And what is that way? It's almost always it feels like it's upside down or it feels inside out or it feels backwards. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, man, I would totally do it different. This is not the way I would go about it. He calls us not to be served, but to serve. Stuff like that, right? Not to be first, but last. A slave to all, to suffer for the sake of the world. So, man, the way of the Lord, it just emerges through chapter 8, all the way through chapter 10. Self-sacrifice for the sake of the world. So, there is an easier way to live, though, isn't there? Yeah, probably. Which is why we need to remind ourselves that Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. It's got to go through me. <laughs> I'm the way. Oh, man. So the memorial out here, the Lord's Supper, it's a memorial to remind us of the way. Of the way. What do you do with truth? Do you reject it like the Pharisees or flirt with it like Herod? Or do you embrace it? Instead of giving us signs, Jesus asks us questions, doesn't he? I like how he asks us questions. That's the way he is. He's given us enough signs, signs of God's reality and love to point us towards the way of the Lord. So he asks us, do you, do you understand yet? Do you understand? Do you remember? He kind of probes us. Things happen, but we didn't know what they meant. We don't know what they mean sometimes when things are happening. Are there events or have there been events in your, in your life? Right? You know, and it seems like they don't have connection to each other without meaning beyond themselves. Take a little bit, look closer, look at that stuff. Listen to your life a little bit. Read the scriptures. You can't see, you can't hear. All right, it's not a problem. Do you realize this is significant? Jesus didn't say, you don't understand. You see, he never says that. He never says, you don't understand. No, 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 no. What does he do? He asks, do you understand yet? You still not understand? Oh, I love that about Jesus. Keep looking, keep listening, keep reading. It's right here. But you must spend time wrestling, not whining, wrestling through because it's here. The answer is the truth is here. Now, oh, it's all here. But first you have to remember, then comes understanding. Understand what? Understand who Jesus is and what he's doing. Because we want to make it about us and it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and what he is doing, especially in a global sense, in a personal sense as well. Understand that Jesus is turning back the powers of darkness, establishing the kingdom, gathering people from every tribe, every nation, right? Even if he's doing it in an upside down, inside out, backwards way, not the way I would do it. Totally not the way I would do it. Now 
Oh man, yeah, I would. I it's it's a good thing I wasn't alive during the first century because I think I'd have been right in there too. Like, where's your sword? We gotta Rome. We gotta, you know, man. I yeah, I would have. We lack understanding. Jesus gives gives it to us. So we got to keep walking, right? So he enlists us. He's enlisting his disciples and his mission to satisfy the world. If we will just respond to his invitation, right? We'll be allowing him to satisfy us and we'll be swept up in his purpose as well, right? To become waiters, by the way, we are waiters or waitresses, <laughs> in a worldwide feast of serving up the compassion of Jesus to a world that is starved for love. And it's difficult, but can you imagine a more exciting way? But you gotta connect the dots. You gotta connect the dots. And you gotta look for patterns. Look for patterns in your own life. I know I, know I have to constantly look at patterns. And you got to build time between the issues sometimes to look back and reflect and go, okay. Because in the midst of it, we get stressed out and we can't see in the midst of it what the Lord is doing, but he's always doing something, right? So before Lynn and I moved to Tucson, we were, uh, I, I was, I got to be a part of, you know, when you're a youth pastor, when you're a pastor, you always get invited to graduation. So I got invited to a graduation ceremony at Stanford. It's 2005, right in there, just before we moved. And the speaker at, uh, um, at, the, at the graduation uh, ceremony, what do you call that speaker? The, I don't know, whatever, is um, Steve Jobs, which is <laughs> so awesome right? So he gives this kind of goofy story, but it's awesome. And he says, he starts out by saying, uh, he starts talking about how he dropped out of college. <laughs> so awesome. He drops out of college and he's talking to a, a group of collegians, right? And he says, so I dropped out of college. While I dropped out, he said, he said, um, I, uh, it gave me an opportunity to take some of the classes that I wanted to take. I was interested in certain things. So he said, long story short, I took a, cla a class on calligraphy. And he said, it was fascinating, you know, a class on calligraphy. So anyway, he takes this class on calligraphy and he said, I was just fascinated with it, fascinated with it. So 10 years later, he says, um, when we are designing the Macintosh computer, he said, it all came to me. And he says in a brilliant, creative way, he gives a story of how it all comes to me and we install in the first Macintosh computer um, beautiful topography. In other words, fonts and spaces and great, you know, um, topography, you know, um, type, typeset. Oh, it's a brilliant thing that he's describing. I wrote down just a couple of things that he said. The first computer with beautiful, you know, uh, 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 typeface, proportionally spaced fonts, all this stuff. That's the first computer. He said, if I had never dropped out, I would have never uh, taken this uh, calligraphy class and personal computers might not have all this wonderful stuff that they do now. 
can you imagine? And then he made everybody aggravated. And he said, he said because basically Windows uh, copied everything that we did and they did the same thing, right? <laughs> he said, or all computers probably wouldn't have went this way. Oh, it was, it was such a brilliant story, right? The upshot of what he said, or the, the synopsis, or the, if you pull it all together, he says, you have to trust in something, your gut, your destiny. Destiny, he talked about karma and all these things. If you just remove all that, it would have been a great sermon if he just would have talked about Jesus. Of course, he didn't, right? But I want to apply Jesus to the whole thing. If you just trust in Jesus, right? Where's, where, where would it leave you? Questions, yes. Do you, do you understand? See, when you start connecting the dots, maybe all that stuff that's going on in your life starts to begin to make sense. That God is doing something in you, with you, and you're a part of the journey if we would just submit to it, right? Oh, it's brilliant. I think if you keep reading, it'll bring you to the edge of your seat because there's, everything changes now. Everything changes. Did you see the poster change? Did you see this? Right? The crown was upside down at this point in the story. Now it's right side up. Now it's right side up. And everything changes. Jesus is headed right to the cross. And it all, it's all going to come to a head. It's all going to come to a head. You got to keep reading to see, to connect the dots, to know, to understand, to understand. Maybe you got questions today. Got to keep reading. You got to keep reading. Connect the dots. Will you bow your head with me? Thank you, Lord, for these moments. We don't understand all the time, but we want to understand, God. We want to understand. Thank you for how you're persistent with us. Help us to look for patterns and connections and to take time between some of these events in our lives to connect the dots because we know that they are related to your way self-sacrifice for the world. And now you're leading us to know you. Thank you, God, how you include us in this, in your mission to the world. Help us to slow down, take time, ask questions, and build time in our lives to where we can reflect on the events, look for patterns and connections. We know that this is the way the life works, this is the way you designed it. And that you're prompting us and you're teaching us that you have compassion for everybody. Continue to teach us, God, that we are waiters and waitresses delivering love to a love-starved world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you guys have a really great day. Hope to see you next week. Bring somebody to church with you.